Hello and welcome to the Counterpoint podcast. Uh, today we're going to talk about um, a battle which is ongoing between uh, Epic Games and Apple and the application economy more generally. And I'm very pleased to be joined for this discussion by Dr. Richard Windsor. Richard runs uh, Radio Free Mobile and is a colleague of Counterpoint and, and acts as a, one of the research directors for, for Counterpoint. So Richard, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, this is this is going to be an interesting discussion. You've you've written some very interesting blogs about this over an, over a number of months, I think. Um, but we'll we'll kind of get into this. So you know, I know that there's there's this you know we could call it a battle royale, I guess, going on between uh, Apple and Epic Games, and uh, Epic is suing uh, Apple, and I think there's now a counter suit from from Apple to Epic. So can you explain a bit about the you know, the specifics of this and what's going on? Uh, Yes, it's reasonably straightforward um, in that, um, to put it in simple terms, um, Apple charges a 30% revenue share. Um, Now, some developers, uh, Epic being main one at the moment, but also other guys like Spotify and Basecamp have taken exception to that in that they feel that that number is too high and that if the App Store payment mechanism was open to competition, greater competition, then um, you know the, the the revenue the revenue share would come down. They would get they would get a greater degree of profit, which would make life more profitable and easier for all developers across the board. And that's really what this is about: is can we get a price cut from a company that is acting as a monopoly in the iOS ecosystem? Yeah. So I think, you know, I mean, if, if I kind of put this in, um, you know, everyday terms, so, you know, I can go and buy a Gillette razor from the supermarket and the supermarket will take a cut of that. Um, you know, there'll be a retail margin, which they take for distributing the, you know, the razors in this case. Um, but I'm most likely to buy the razor blades, which are the, you know, the the big value part again from the supermarket, right? So, I mean, in, in the uh, digital economy, so um, if I download Fortnite as a game from you know, the Apple App Store or a Google Play Store, um, so that there's a value in the additional items that I might buy, f- you know, for that game in terms of skins and so on. So, is is that what's the, what Epic's big kind of complaint is that those kind of additional elements is where Apple is it's kind of charging extra. Yeah, and this is how the app economy has developed um, over the last 10 years, I guess, which was when it really started, it was you buy, you would pay one price for a product, you download it, and then you would get get the game. Now what's happened, now the way things tend to work is you download the app for free and then you buy digital items or a subscription after you've downloaded the app. Now, actually, in both cases, you would be subject to the same fee. The issue is for Epic and some of these other developers, and as you put it, there's only one shop where you can go to buy it from. Um, And as a result of that, that shop can effectively charge whatever margin that it likes. And it is not difficult to demonstrate empirically that while 30% gave the App Store a break-even level of profitability in the early days, now that it has grown so far beyond recognition or anyone's expectations, you know, the Apple App Store now is a source of 
huge margin and massive cash cash generation and it's that what they're really they are really taking exception to mm. and um i mean i guess the apple situation is kind of unique because it's the sole source of content for ios you know there aren't other app stores that are, you know in the android ecosystem if Fortnite is kicked off the the Play Store. You can probably get it from some other Android uh, store out there, right? But but Apple is is a bit closed in this context. Uh, yeah, that's 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 exactly right. Um, now, see, Google's position, you could argue, is actually somewhat better than Apple's because Google will say, "Hey, we're not like that. We will allow competing app stores to come onto the platform." But what happens in in real practical terms is that it, on Android or Google Android, if you like, um, if you're not on Google Play, you are going to struggle to get penetration among you among users. And, and a good um, piece of evidence for that is, is that, you know, Fortnite originally, when it came out, was not available on Google Play. You had to download the program and effectively sideload it to the device. And recently, actually, um, Epic Games, they had to cave into that and put it back onto Google Play, pay the Google tax because they were not getting the exposure that they needed on Android because they were not on Google Play. Right. Now, you know, so Epic is is sort of suing Apple. Um, and that actually sort of fits into a bigger uh, story, I guess, which is that um, a lot of governments, particularly in Europe, are sort of taking exception to the monopolistic power that some of these big tech firms have. So I guess there's a there's a sort of sense that Epic is trying to ride that that trend as well. Um, but but Apple is now countersuing. So what is Apple's uh, position, you know, back at at Epic? Um, well, it's, it's typical with these kinds of disputes, you get an original suit and then there's always a countersuit. It's kind of like a process that you go through. Um, but actually on this particular occasion, Apple does have what I would consider to be a, you know, a valid complaint, which is this. What Epic effectively did is, is that they put um, an alternate payment mechanism into Fortnite without telling the Apple reviewers so it went in on a previous version, and then when they got kicked off the App Store, uh, Fortnite activated that payment mechanism. So now what's happening is is that people who've got Fortnite on iOS now are able to circumvent the Apple App Store. Um, now, the reason why that's a valid complaint is quite simply is, is that Epic has willfully breached its contract with Apple. Um, and actually, I think you know that will hurt its case in the longer run simply because when a law or a rule is wrong, the correct action is to get the law or rule changed, not just breach it willy-nilly. And as a result of that, what that does, it gives Apple a weapon, which is to paint Epic as a bad business actor to the court. So I think in many ways, Epic's actually shot itself in the foot. Um, and so, you know, that's the position where we are at the moment. That is Apple's countersuit to Epic's antitrust suit saying that Apple is behaving in an anti-competitive fashion. So thinking about this more broadly, so there, there are a couple of exceptional cases within the, the iOS framework, right? So I think Amazon um, pays something different. 
what about Spotify? Do they an exceptional case here? Um, certainly, App- Amazon Prime um, has a special deal with Apple, um, and this, to be honest with you is the main thing that undermines Apple's position. Apple's position is we treat all developers equally and no one gets a discount, and so all developers are treated fairly. Um, But Amazon Prime is great evidence that that actually is not the case and in fact, that um, you know, all developers are not treated equally, and then you know that opens the door to well, if Amazon Prime gets a discount, why can't we have one? Um, and again, you know, that would be the fact, and the fact that Apple turns around and says, "No, you can't have one." You know, that could be used as evidence of monopolistic and anti-competitive practice. And um, kind of looking, you know, sort of taking this more broadly, because I think you've you've written very interestingly about the you know, the app ecosystem. Um, within the context of the of the broader kind of internet trend, right? So there's uh, you know this fact that you know a lot of these services that people use every day, like Facebook, um, Google, you know, that to the user they're effectively free, right? So you're getting this phenomenal service. You're not paying directly, therefore you're paying indirectly somehow, um, and that is typically through the um, the ability for those companies to use your data to then sell advertising so you know you are the the target or the product in this context so um it, you know with ios 14 apple you know is now mandating this app tracking transparency which i guess is part of their overall um you know uh, effort to to be very kind of um above board and uh transparent for the users but what are the implications for that on yeah, many of the of the developers? Um, the implications are actually quite severe, um, and that largely comes down to the developers themselves, um, who historically have not been very upfront with the users in terms of how they make money from the service that is perceived to be free. Um, you know, and this has been our contention for a very long time: is there is no such thing as free internet. You either pay with cash or you pay with personal data. You choose. The problem is, is is that a large number of users seem to have this preconception that things like Facebook and Twitter, well, they're they're free. Um, And as a result of that, the expectation will be is that when Apple says, right, do you want to be tracked? No one in their right mind is going to say yes. Um, And so as a result of that, suddenly all these apps that previously were able to monetize through app tracking will suddenly see a significant fall in their revenues and may go out of business as a result. That's the concern. Now, there is actually a reasonably straightforward solution to this, which is the same solution that has taken place uh, on many websites these days, which is, you know, everybody now seems to have an ad blocker enabled by default. You go to a website that relies on advertising. They say, you can't come in unless you disable the ad blocker. Um, and I think, you know, the option for developers is reasonably straightforward. If you want to download a free app that monetizes through app tracking, you have to enable app tracking. Otherwise, you don't come in. Um, now, that is fraught with risk from the app developer's point of view, i.e. Um, many users might decide, actually, you know what? The service is not that valuable, so I don't particularly want to be tracked, so I'm not going to use it. Um, the net and that is the risk for them. However, for the app ecosystem overall, the result should be in that instance, 
better transparency for users because you have a greater realization of what it is I'm actually paying for and how I'm paying for it. I pay cash or I pay personal data by allowing you to track me. But what it would also do is, is it means that the apps themselves will have to get better because in order to get someone to say, yes, okay, you can track me, the service has got to be so good that the user actually goes, yes, it's worth paying for with my personal data, okay. Um, and so what it could do, you could, you could actually end up with a situation where the total number of apps declines massively, but the quality, the overall quality of the apps actually improves. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's a, you know, clearly looking at the numbers of apps available, there's, there's a lot of junk out there. But, you know, often the user won't be aware of whether the service offered by that app is good or not until they've had a chance to use it. So I guess we could see some sort of um, development of a freemium model where, you know, you get a week or two's usage um, and then you have to kind of make a decision. Do I want, you know, do I want to trade my my data to continue with this service? Yeah, I think, I think that would be an entirely reasonable solution. Um, and, you know, um, and I think that's why Apple is has postponed it a little bit to try and give the developers a little bit more time to adjust to the reality of what this might actually mean. There was there was an interesting um, development. I think you wrote about this a uh, few weeks, months back, um, that Russia was proposing a, a slight change in the way that uh, fees were divided up. Um, I guess nominally to, you know, there was a, a proposal to, to have some part of the fee um, allocated to creating, you know, better education for developers, um, you know, but the overall fee would have been higher. Did, what was your view on that? Um, well, the, the situation there was the headline looked great, but the devil was in the detail. So what really happened there is that the idea was is that there would be legislation passed to force Apple and Google to reduce the fee to 20%. But then at the same time, there was this extra bit tacked on to the end, which basically stipulated that on top of the 20%, an additional 30% would have to be paid into a fund which nominally would be there to train um, developers, to put for young training developers so that in order to expand and develop the app economy. Now, the problem is with this kind of situation is, is that what would end up happening is developers would end up on their Russian revenues paying 50% rather than 30% as they do today. And what that is basically going to do, it is going to disincentivize anyone from developing anything for the Russian market. So very often with this kind of legislation, um, the real effect is completely opposite to that which is intended. And I think it would gravely damage the whole Russian app ecosystem. Now, the good news is, is that this was proposed by a very small political party in the Russian Duma and has an almost 0% chance of ever making it into the law. So I think it's a it's an interesting study in what not to do to the app ecosystem, but not one that's going to do any real lasting damage. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, but, the, you know, I guess the, there's a broader question here, which is, you know, kind of coming back around to this, um, 
you know the fact that the app stores charge really quite a you know sizable amount of money for essentially being a distribution platform and a payment gateway um how, how has this sort of come to be the the standard you know this 30 percent cut seems to be a, a sort of a universal standard generally but how, how did it come to be in this way um it, it's, it actually stems from the legacy so the legacy was go back to ooh, I don't know, 2003 four um it's the old itunes business model so on iTunes, if you wanted to sell something through iTunes, Apple would take a 30% cut of the revenue. Now, back then, remember that the scale of the operation was a tiny fragment of what it is today. Um, and Apple were very upfront about it. Was They said, we charge this because we intend to run the, Apple, the App Store or iTunes at break-even. We make the return in charging is because the iTunes provides or is part of a good user experience for the device, be it the iPod or the iPhone as it is now. Um, we make the return by charging a premium price for that product. And part of that premium is driven by the fact that there is a vibrant app store or iTunes in the case of the iPod. Um, and up until 2011, 12, 13, somewhere around there, this was the case is that um, this was not really a profit center for Apple. Now, of course, what's happened is, is that the scale of the App Store has grown so far beyond what one might ex- what one would have expected that actually what's happening now is, is that Apple is making a vast amount of money from it. And it is that that is, the, that is, that is where people are starting to object. Yeah, so... Um... Just before we we kind of conclude this and, and kind of wrap up, do you want to kind of take that thought on and um, you know kind of project how you think this is going to uh, you know develop over the next few years? Okay. Well, the way the way I think this case will be resolved, and the way I would hope that the app economy developed are actually quite different. Now, the way I suspect this will be resolved is. Uh, Apple and Epic will do a deal. Epic will get special treatment like Amazon Prime does and the whole thing will go quiet and that will be the end of it until next time. Um, The way I would like to see it develop are very different, which is if now that um, Apple is making a vast amount of money from the App Store and it is entitled to make a profit, I've got no issue at all with Apple making a profit from it. Um, but what I would like to see is competition introduced into the iOS ecosystem around this area, because what it would then do is it would encourage Apple to provide a better service, and it would also allow other people to come in, which would mean that you know probably the return to developers would be greater, which would incentivize developers to develop better apps and overall the app ecosystem benefits. Um, and in fact, at the end of the day, the more the better and better iOS gets, the more sustainable is Apple's premium price that it charges for its iOS devices. Um, so at the end of the day, even you know if there was competition on the App Store, I would argue Apple may actually potentially end up making higher margins for longer as a result, even though on the actual App Store itself, it would actually be making lower absolute dollars. Brilliant. Well, Richard. Thanks for joining today. Um, Very interesting insights. My pleasure. Anytime.
And uh, yeah, thanks for listening into the CounterPoint podcast and join us again for the next one. All right. Have a good day now.